It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. All right, welcome everybody to Left versus Right. Anthony Weiner versus Curtis Slewa. The takes from both sides of the aisle. My name is Anthony Weiner. Fine Young Cannibals bringing you in. The vestiges of the English beat can be heard in there. Curtis is going to be in in the second hour. I'm going to carry you through the first hour. Still getting my sea legs under me here as a radio host. God, Roland Gift had a great voice. Um, big day in the Weiner household. At this hour, almost exactly at this hour, I think it's 2.30, he steps on the ice. My son, Jordan, my 10-year-old son, he tries out for the first time for an actual hockey team. He's been playing only since September. He's 10 years old, started playing in September. I have played hockey my whole life. I think I started at about 9 years old. And they have tryouts over at Chelsea Piers, and uh, it was creating a little bit of attention about whether I would be there with him. And then I went to the first round of the, of the tryouts, which were on Thursday, and they lock all the parents out of the arena. They, they get, you can suit them up, then they go behind a door. They had garbage bags and all the windows, so you couldn't look in. So I would have to just watch and wait from outside. Um, so uh, his mom, Huma, is there with him, and I am, uh, when I'm done here, I'm going to go see what happens. He finishes his tryout, at 2.50, I'm sorry, at 3.50, so just about the same time he gets off, I hopefully will be getting word on how he's doing. So he's very excited. We went to a couple of Islander games this, this week. Um, I don't know what it is. You know, it's, this is one of those things that I'm learning a lot about parenting through this hockey experience. Had it, what advice to give him when dealing with a bully. There was a bully on ice that was, like, following him around and harassing him. You know, the idea of listening to coaches. There is no influence that is probably more important in a 10-year-old's life when you're playing a sport than a coach. So he's um, – and he's been really great. He's been really into it, and I'm super proud of him. And this is going to be a little bit of a test because he is definitely not one of the better players, but he's dealing with that adversity pretty well. He's getting fired up about it. He's excited to be playing, and I'm excited to have him out there doing it. I'm wearing my New York Islander hat today. The Islanders beat the Rangers – Three to nothing yesterday. We have to take our small victories where we can since the Rangers are headed to the playoffs with a head of steam and the Islanders are probably going to hit some some golf balls. So uh, Curtis and I are going to be uh, getting together in about an hour. We have some we have a great show for you. We're going to go over a couple of issues that have been in the news and I'm going to save the good stuff for him and me. We're going to go over the Madison Corthon, this curious case of Madison Corthon. You might have read a little bit about this. This is a member of Congress. I never, I didn't, he didn't, he didn't overlap with me. I think he's a freshman who talked about the orgies at the Capitol and something he referred to as a key bump of cocaine. Hopefully, Curtis can explain that to me because I have no idea what that means. Um, we're also going to talk about the don't say gay legislation. Curtis is going to try to make me say gay, and I'm going to try to prevent him from saying gay throughout the debate. We'll see how that goes. Left versus right. And uh, we're also going to talk. <laughs> You're going to want to hear this. We're going to talk about how close we came to leading our segment off with a discussion of a story that turned out to be an April Fool's joke. We came this close to being even more of a joke than we usually are. 
Um, but what I like to do at the top of the show, and I explained this a little bit last week, is I am a relatively new listener to Talk Radio 77 WABC. I've known the station on and off all my life in different iterations. Um, but now I listen to it really religiously because I'm here on Sundays every su- – I'm sorry, I'm here on Saturdays every Saturday from 2 to 4 with Curtis. And he's been super helpful in getting my sea legs under me, as I've said, teaching me the ropes. And I'm really grateful to John Katzmatidis and, and Chad Lopez and the other folks here and the amazing staff that helps make this show possible. But what I like to do is I listen to the hot takes all week. And since I only have to do one show a week, um, I sit back and I try to think about, okay, what are the questions that are coming to mind? Which of these hot takes do I need more context to? And I, I want to try to be that context. Maybe, what are you going to call me? The hysteria police or the asbestos for the extremism or, I don't know, Uber, but for context, something like that. Um, and it always t- turns out to be a, a story that I'm a little bit interested in. Last week I talked about inflation at length. Um, and, and it comes from this place that I believe that we are not, as I said last week, we're not a people of 50-50, half hard right, half hard left going at each other, um, that we're someplace in between, that we're, we have about 10 percent. Here's what I think, 10, 10, 50, 30 is what I've said. 10 percent believe that anything the Republicans do and Donald Trump does is unassailable and completely right and bleed red and, and accuse the Democrats of being um, – Heathens, unpatriotic, evil people. 10% on the other side that think that anything AOC says is gospel, anything that Joe Biden does is unassailable, and anything Republicans say can't be believed. Those are the two extremes. And I only think there's about 10% that are in those two categories. And if you're listening to the show, I still want you to participate, but you're not the primary target here. I'm I'm, I'm interested in what I say are the 50 and the 30. The 50% are the people that I call the common sense persuadables, people that have a partisan lean – but they're not unpersuadable. They're people that can have a conversation, can learn, can listen to facts, and can move accordingly. They're, they're reasonable people. And the 30% are the people that I really want to try to pull back in. And I say pull back in because they're the people that are now completely on the sidelines. They're the people that don't believe that the institutions of politics are on the level, don't believe that the financial institutions are on the level, don't believe that the media institutions are on the level, and have so dis- – so become so disgusted with all of this that they've started to check out. And I also want to talk to them a little bit with this show, to talk to them a little bit about the issues that, that, I, that I choose. And, um, and I also want to hear from you. So you can start calling in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And I want you to not only play the role of Curtis while he's not here, but also be the fact checker. Here's a proposal I have for you. I'm going to do a longer segment in a minute. But if you think that I've said something that's factually not true – Call in and let me know. I, I, I am committed to doing a fact check on our show every week. And also, obviously, if you have different opinions, those are always welcome. As we say here at WABC, news and views, news straight down the middle and then views on both sides of the aisle. I am I make no compunction about it. I am a, a Democrat. I consider myself a progressive one. But by the standards of the National Democratic Party, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. So what is the issue What is the issue that I've chosen today? It's one that I've heard a lot about on our station here and a lot about in, frankly, every newspaper recently. That's right. The Hunter Biden laptop. When he realized that his laptop from hell was missing (laughs) and that they found it, 
But the fake news didn't even want a great book on that was done. The fake news didn't even want to talk about it. Media complex in this country uh, helped cover up evidence that clearly, I mean, this, is, this was major evidence that sat on that laptop. The FBI had it for over a year. Nothing was done with I it. I seek unanimous consent to enter into the record of this committee content from, files from, and copies from the Hunter Biden laptop. The presidential election, I mean, the laptop was real. The eyewitness, Tony Bobolinsky, was a real person. The emails, in fact, were real evidence, real documents. The only thing fake was the news. This uh, laptop, I tell you what, this is called the laptop from hell. The only laptop that was almost as good, maybe worse, was the laptop of Anthony Weiner. You remember that? Ding, 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 ding. What was, what was the ding, ding, ding part? And I don't like having – listen, when, guys, when I ask you to do these cuts, I don't mean for them to be – anyway. Look, there's no doubt about it. There's been enormous amount of news made about the Hunter Biden laptop. And I don't know how to summarize this for you except to say that I climbed into a, a rabbit hole this week of reading about this laptop. And I have done a lot of reading so you don't have to. Now, some of you listening to this might be familiar with this entire long sorted story – But what I wanted to do is for the uninitiated, I want to go through what I think we know, try to address some of these big questions like was there indeed a cover up? What was on the laptop? What's going to happen next with Hunter Biden? What did Hunter do? What did Joe Biden do? And to try to unpack some of these things. And I am at a point now, I'm I'm serious, I consider myself almost an expert. I have read so much about this, and and from all different sources. I've listened to podcasts and the like. And I guess the best place to start is where this thing began, which is in April of 2019, April 12th to be exact. A Wilmington, Delaware computer repairman named John uh, Paul Mac Isaac. It's funny how when you become part of news stories, we've got to include all of your middle names. And it seems like people who have... Well, this guy's got a lot of names, but I think Mac might have been one he just added for the purpose of his business. But putting that aside for a moment, someone walks in with a laptop and says, listen, this laptop, it's gotten wet and I'm having trouble accessing the material that is on the laptop. So this guy goes about trying to repair this this laptop. Um, He fixes it. He says it was he's both this person said it's both easy and hard to repair. In one hand, he said he just had to plug in. To it, but it would keep shutting off every few minutes, so he'd have to download some, and it would shut down. They'd have to go back and see what he got and then download more and more and more, and he eventually repairs it. He calls up the person that dropped off the laptop, says it's ready. No one ever came back uh, back to get it. Now, I keep saying the person because, among other crazy things about this story, this person is legally blind, and he can't say for sure it was Hunter Biden that came drop it off. But for the purpose of this conversation, it's, it's Hunter Biden's laptop. So he has this laptop. It's sitting there. It's in April of 2019. And then in July of 2019, it's been sitting in his shop, and he starts to hear things on the newspaper, in the, in the, in the news, particularly from our host here at, and former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, um, talking about allegations about Hunter Biden's business dealings, alleging that there was the misconduct. And this guy hears these things, and what does he do? This guy, Mac Isaac, calls the FBI. And the FBI in December of 2019 from the Wilmington field office come with a subpoena and take this laptop, the, the whole, any drive that was related to it, and all related paperwork. Okay, 
So that's December of 2019. Then a month later, the impeachment of Donald Trump begins. And once again, this guy, Mac Isaac, says, all right, I've got something here. Now, before he handed it over to the FBI, he made a content, he made um, a copy of the hard drive. And so he begins calling members of Congress, most of them Republicans, and says, I've got this drive of Hunter Biden's laptop, and none of them were interested. Basically, no one was all that interested until after making a series of these calls. Finally, in August of 2020, Mac Isaac connected with the lawyer for our own Rudy Giuliani and turns over the material. So between April 2019 and October 2020, the only real official agency that has it is the FBI. And we'll get to that in a second. But that's that. it took a little while for this thing to get some steam. And I'm sorry, yeah, I, I said October. is actually in, in August when he turns it over to Mayor Giuliani. And then in October, all poop hits the fan when it all comes out in the New York Post. The New York Post starts to publish all this stuff. Um, and at this point, the cover-up, so to speak, begins. But there's more and less there than meets the eye. On one hand, the New York Post story that comes out is handled in a ridiculous way by social media companies, particularly Twitter. Twitter says we're so suspicious of the covenant of, of this information and, and of, its, of its reliability and where it came from. We're going to ban it from even being on our platform. Terrible idea. And it's, as, a liber, as a libertarian in the liberal sense of the word, um, I think that was a bad idea. But for everyone else, for the other newspapers and other journalists to try to cover – there were a lot of reasons and a lot of things that made it very difficult. One thing that made it difficult, they weren't given a copy of this hard drive to look at. As a matter of fact, according to the New York Times and according to the Washington Post, when they reached out to, to Giuliani and to Steve Bannon to get a copy of the data, they were both told no. By the way, this is a great idea. At some point, I would love to go on. Rudy Giuliani has a, a show that's on here. I listen to it. I, dis, I disagree with him almost all the time. But I enjoy listening to the show. I should go on and ask him, you know, just be a guest and ask him some of these questions now that I've become such an expert. But anyway, at the time, the other newspapers weren't given access to this information. To make it even more suspicious, this is October of 2020, one month before the election. And remember what happened one month before the election in 2016. We were attacked by the Russians who hacked into the DNC hacked into Hillary Clinton, then went to Anonymous, turned all the stuff over to try to influence our election according to, um, according to, de- according to Democratic and Republican um, officials that looked into it. So here it was. And by the way, in 2020, if you think that there wasn't also something going on then, the, the, I have an, in front of me an unclassified – the guys in the booth will tell you I came prepared to with lots of paper – The National Intelligence Council said the Russians were once again trying to influence our election, and this time, key judgment number two, foreign threats to U.S. federal election. We assessed that Russian President Putin authorized a range of of government organization influence operations aimed at denying President Biden's candidacy. And I will tell you, after the break, the big question, which is what was actually on that laptop and what changed this from being a New York Post story to being a story that now everyone, left, right, and center, is talking about. Versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 
77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC. Welcome everybody back to Left versus Right. Anthony Weiner and Curtis Lewa. Curtis is going to be joining us in a moment. Um, today we're going deep into uh, the issue of Hunter Biden's laptop. Not that others haven't done it on the airwaves here at WABC, but I'm doing it from my seat on the left. If you want to join into the conversation or ask me anything about the laptop, I'm now such an expert having, having read so much about it, left, right, and middle over the course of the last several days. 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. When Curtis comes in, we're going to talk about the sex scandal of, of, of Madison Corthon. Is that, I think I'm saying his name right. We're also going to get a little bit into the Don't Say Gay legislation in Florida. And we are going to let you in on how close we both came to leading our broadcast with a what turned out to be an April Fool's joke. Unfortunately, we didn't do that, but we'll tell you a little bit about that. So when we broke, I was telling you about this idea that, you know, maybe this cover-up that was going on by other news organizations besides the New York Post was not so much a cover-up, but just a fairly reasonable approach to big breaking news that came out in, uh, in 2020. This is October, a week before – a week, a month before the election. And um, everyone had been warned. Washington had been warned. This time we're, we're not going to get fooled again that there was a – a threat assessment that was done. And I'll read again from, and this is from from something called the National Intelligence Council. This is Department of Homeland Security, CIA, NSC, uh, Department of Homeland Security, INR. Like all of these organizations get together and put out reports every once in a while. This is from an unclassified version of it, key judgment number two. Um, uh, we assess that uh, President Putin authorized a, ra- and, uh, uh, um, authorized a range of Russian government organizations conducted Influence operation aimed at denigrating President Biden's candidacy in the Democratic Party. Moscow's strategy in this election cycle was to use proxies linked to Russian intelligence to push influence narratives, including misleading or unsubstantiated allegations against President Biden. So this was in the air in October of 2020 when the New York Post gets a hold of this laptop copy. And it's made worse by the fact that no other news organization was allowed to independently look at it. And then there are little things that the Post did. And listen, I've had my problems with the New York Post, but they are undeniably a, a right-wing conservative newspaper. Um, uh, they they have separation between their editorial page and their news gathering, but there is that. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would dispute. I don't think even the folks at, at at the New York Post would dispute that. So they have this this thing, and 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 they're, they make matters worse in terms of trying to verify it for other people. For example, there's one email that's a particular smoking gun email, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what that is in a moment. Except instead of sharing the data from the, the laptop, they take a picture of it the day before the story goes live. And so there's no way for anyone to really see where this thing came from. There is no metadata on it or anything. Um, and then there are other things that made people a little bit suspicious. And when I say people, I mean other journalists who are trying to figure out how should they handle this. Um, 
for example, in the in some of the data that was released by the New York Post but wasn't highlighted by them in any way was some language that basically made it seem like Hunter Biden and President Biden were not talking at all about things. So different news organizations all do stories about this. Washington Post, October 14, 2020, Hunter Biden's alleged laptop and explainer. The New York Times did stories. There wasn't this enormous cover-up. There was this other thing that was going on where I think some people – we're getting out over their skis. This looks so much like it was it might be Russian disinformation or something like that. It was coming from a source that was that people were were nervous about a, a, a blind guy in a laptop store in Delaware, et cetera. Um, that then some people said this is as a fact Russian disinformation. I think that there's no evidence of that. Now I won't go as far as to say there, there it wasn't, but no one's presumed to any to this day that that was at all. A fact or that was all true. People overstated the case against this. So why is it coming out now? Well, finally, a guy named Jack Massey, who's a Republican activist who had a relationship, a relationship with I think he used to work. um, He he used to work in, in Republican politics. And I think he also worked for Steve Bannon. Finally, in June of this year, went to the New York, uh, went to the New York Times, went to the Washington Post, these organizations that have been asking, and he turned over this copy of this drive. And these guys, these newspapers went out and they hired security guys to go look at it. And some of the documents were substantiated. Some were not. But it's pretty clear in my take, this was Hunter Biden's laptop. It was then. It is now. I don't think that there's there's any dispute about that. You want to say that I was part of the cover-up because I didn't know that before? No, I was kind of suspicious of this all along, but it's undoubted now that there is. So now the question is, what is on the laptop and how bad is it? Well, if you're Hunter Biden, it looks terrible. It looks terrible because this guy was getting gobs and gobs of money from Chinese real estate and energy concerns, from Ukrainian energy concerns. I mean a lot of money. And let me just say this. I have done consulting. You know, based on my experience in Washington, based on the work I've done on the Energy and Commerce Committee, yeah, I've done concerns. I never this is this was obscene obscene amounts of money, million dollar retainers, hundreds of thousands of dollars of fees. He got paid a lot of money, and there's also no doubt in reading about these cases, and it's not just in Republican and conservative outfits. You can go read a story, by the way, in in July of 2019 in the New Yorker, perhaps one of the most liberal organs around. Will Hunter Biden jeopardize his father's campaign? And even stuff that wasn't on the laptop, even then, it's it, it was pretty clear that that Hunter Biden had money issues, that Hunter Biden was trading on his father's name, that Hunter Biden was was implying that his father was was involved in these things. And there's no doubt. And I can tell you that based on what we've seen recently, with reports of of Hunter Biden pay, um, paying back back taxes suddenly, leaks that are coming out, the you should know that the U.S. Attorney of Delaware which traditionally might change when a new administration comes in. The Biden administration has left the the old one in from Donald Trump's era. He's still there. The DOJ has it. And, you know, now the FBI and DOJ has had this laptop for a while. There's all kinds of things that he could be accused of. There might be fees that were, were confirmed on this laptop that he didn't pay taxes on. It could be relationships with these companies that cross over into the line of representing foreign government or foreign entities, which is if you're going to do it, there's a very specific regimen for how you have to do it. It could be any number of things. So the that's the easy part. The easy part is clearly that Hunter Biden was doing some pretty slimy things. Now, 
illegal. I'll leave that. You know, we can quibble. I don't have all the facts, but it doesn't look good. But the tougher question and the place that so many people on this station have been way out over their skis based on everything that I've read is this idea that because Hunter Biden was making all this money, that there was a connection to Joe Biden. If anything, a lot of the evidence points in the other direction. For example, you know, even in the in the midst of of Hunter Biden trying to show that that how connected he was to Washington, he writes in an email to a potential client, quote, what he, his father, will do and say is out of our hands. Hunter Biden wrote in an email that the Post said was was sent on April 13th, 2014. There are two things that are smoking guns in the eyes of people who want to attach Joe Biden to what Hunter Biden was doing. Okay, and here they are. And I'll let you decide. One was a May 13th, 2017 email. And this is a time when uh, Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. It was from a guy named James Galar, who was this British guy who was involved in trying to put together a company that Hunter Biden was going to be involved with. That was then going to go to this Chinese concern and ask them for a boatload of money to support this company. And they were going to go out and say that we have access to all these politicians and we know all these different things. The emails from that guy to a guy named Tony Bobolinsky, which was mentioned in the cut that came in. This is a, this is a supporter of Donald Trump, someone who Donald Trump brought to the debate, someone who's done press conferences saying Joe Biden is a dirty guy. He knew all about these things. But this is the email. This is the smoking gun email. And in it, they're talking about how the profits of this company they're going to make are going to be divided up. Different percentages for different people. By the way, on this email, Hunter is CC'd. He's not the writer. He's not the recipient. He's CC'd. And it says, quote, 10, meaning 10 percent, held by H, presumably Hunter, for the big guy. Okay, that's it. That's the smoking gun that Tony Bobolinsky has. Now, he said he had other stuff. He said, I have WhatsApp. He went on to call Tucker Carlson and says, I've got all kinds of information that shows otherwise. And so the Wall Street Journal and Fox News, he goes in and visits with them, shows them what he got. Both organizations come out and say there's nothing connecting Joe Biden. In fact, October 23rd, 2020, headline foxnews.com, ex-Hunter Biden associates records don't show proof of Biden relationship amid unanswered questions. So, but that's it. Now, they say, well, everyone knows that that big guy meant Joe Biden. Everyone knows that H. Man Hunter... But in all of the financial documents that were on the laptop, a lot of them having been been verified, there's no mention of Joe Biden getting any of these of these funds anywhere in any of this this document. In fact, in in Hunter Biden's books, he talks about being so desperate for money. Joe Biden was helping out Hunter Biden, not the other way around. So that's smoking gun number one. And in my opinion, it's wafer thin, wafer thin. The second thing is this other this other thing that was the smoking gun from the original New York Post story that the New York Post went out and said this shows that that this this laptop shows that Joe Biden was corrupt. And what it comes down to there is this idea that Hunter Biden introduced this advisor to this Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, to then Vice President Joe Biden at a time when Joe Biden was involved with a policy uh, in the administration. It all comes down to that. And it comes that all comes down to a single solitary email from April 17th, 2015, that, that suggests that Hunter Biden had arranged this meeting for this energy executive. And here's what it says. I'm going to read you the entire email. 
this is the one that was photographed by the Washington, by the New York Post that made it difficult for other other journals to um to uh to 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 to, to make sure it was credible. Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to DC and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spent I'm leaving in the 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 errors spent some time together. It's reality means it's it's really an honor and pleasure. Reads the email supposedly written by this guy Vadam Pozarski. He was an advisor to Burisma. There's only one problem. That meeting never happened. There's never any sign of it anywhere in any of the official logs. President, uh, Vice President um, uh, Biden staff who was around him, you know, and have these has no record of this guy ever being anywhere. There's there. All it is, is someone saying to Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. to give me an opportunity to meet. We have no idea whether that whether uh, it ever happened. And even if it did, it could have been like there are other things that had gone on. For example, there was there was uh, uh, articles that had been written in the public domain about companies that had been invited to participate in a conference call with a visit by Joe Biden to Ukraine. There's nothing secret about the call and the transcript was released publicly and posted on the White House website. So that's it. From there, GOP senators have said they haven't found anything more. A bipartisan uh, a bipartisan committee has looked at this stuff and said they haven't found any more. The Trump Justice Department has had this hard drive. And if there was anything more, we probably would have heard about it. And that is all of it. This whole idea that some guys who were trying to find something that they called Sinohawk Holdings had created this narrative. And this one guy says that Joe Biden was the person who was who was big guy in this. And even if you assume that it was, let's assume, let's stipulate to that it was. All that that says is someone wrote a proposal for a business that never, by the way, did I mention this? The business never existed. They didn't get a single contract, didn't get a single uh, a, a stitch of funding. It just went away. It was someone's proposal for a business that never happened. So the very, very, very worst you can say is, okay, this is someone's proposal to give some of the money to Joe Biden, and there's no evidence or record or anything that it actually happened besides this one guy, Bobolovsky, Bobolinsky. Um, and even he, when he turned over his material, um, it was turned out by Fox News and Wall Street Journal and others not to have any any validity to it. So where does that mean that we stand right now? It means that this looks very bad for Hunter Biden. It means that only someone who is – unless they have information that I haven't seen, and that could be, and I'm open to you calling in at 800-848-WABC and pointing to some element of this that I've gotten wrong, the connection to Joe Biden is where this whole thing falls down. And I just want to say this on, on the way out before we come back and take your calls. Part of the problem is – with these conspiracy theories and wild accusations is there's always a kernel of truth buried within it that is then taken to a place that is not within it. I fear that's what's happened here, but I've got an open mind. If you know differently, give me a call, 800-848-WABC, and we'll take those calls on the other side. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest.
Welcome back, everyone. Left versus right. I'm Anthony Weiner. Curtis Lee was coming in for the second hour at 3 o'clock. He and I are going to have a conversation about some of the colorful issues of the day. Representative Cawthorn, sordid tales of life in Congress. He's going to explain to me what a key bump of cocaine is. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Don't Say Gay legislation in Florida. I know some people are not happy about it being labeled that. He's going to try to make me say gay. And then we're also going to talk about this story that we were this close to leading with today that turned out to be an April Fool's joke. That's when Curtis comes in. He's been really kind to let me get my legs underneath me uh, here. We've been talking about Hunter Biden. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-WABC. And, you know, I've said it once during this presentation, but um, I'll say it again. You know, Rudy Giuliani is a central kind of straw that stirs this story. And, 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 you know, if anyone has a rebuttal to this, he would. And maybe at some point we'll get him to come on or I can go on his show that he can point out to the things that I might have gotten wrong. But you've got to do that now. You can be the fact checker on our behalf. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And for those of you who are asking, yes, Jordan just stepped on the ice at 2.30 for his tryout. I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know. Um, how that goes. Uh, let's, let's take some of these called the board is filling up on Hunter Biden uh, points and questions. So let's start with Patty in New Jersey. Patty, you're on the air. Hi. Um, so first I think it would be great for you and actually Miranda Devine to have a, um, a debate, but okay, here are things I wrote down. Air Force two, uh, going off to Ukraine. So a golfing, um, what, and that pertains to they're never talked about business. Okay. Who believes that? Um, the qualifications of Hunter. Should he sit on their board? He doesn't speak the language, nor did he have any experience in anything that they dealt with. Okay. In one of the emails, what about the 10% that goes to the big guy? Well, who's the big guy? Now, that other guy, Borisky. He verbally did say that he confirmed that the 10 percent was going to Joe and Joe was completely aware of it. So we either believe him or we don't. At this point, I'm tending to believe him. And, um, oh, there's also an email that says that he's talking to his sister and saying, I'm paying all the bills. I'm paying your education. I'm paying for this. Isn't that a little unusual? So there is a lot of um there's a lot of scrutiny here. There's a lot of things that, you know, somebody who's up and up, you'd say, oh, there's nothing wrong here. But there's too many ifs, ands, and I don't know kind of what's going on. Okay. So All right. Well, you've put – I appreciate it, Patty. You've put a lot You put, put a lot on my plate. I'm going to handle the ones that I think I have something resembling answers to. Look, there is no doubt that that – I mean, I think I can say this, that Hunter Biden would not be getting these big deals were he not named Biden. I don't think I think that's part of the conclusion here of reading all of this stuff that I think I'm with you on. I don't I, I, I believe that. And by the way, that's that's something that smells rotten in Washington, period. There's all kinds of deals that relatives of elected officials, friends, buddies, college acquaintances, ball. This is the way that people make money in that industry. And I don't like it. It's not unusual. And it's not criminal. 
well, we're going to find out. It might be criminal hunter's case. But the issue is, does it where does it go to President Biden? That's the, the question. Now, a couple of the other things. One, the 10 percent for the big guy. Yes, I, I, I talked about that. But the question is, what is the document that, that comes from? It comes from a document of someone who's proposing to make a business proposal to these Chinese guys. And if you even assume that that is is what this guy – it's not from Hunter Biden or, or even to Hunter Biden. OK, let's assume the big guy is, is um, Joe Biden. Let's assume that's the case. What do you got there? You've got someone proposing the idea of giving Joe Biden money. Not that he ever did because this company never turned into anything. And the final point about, about the things that he wrote to his sister, his family members complaining, he had money issues, no doubt about it. He was also – and this is one of the reasons I'm interested in this because I too have addiction issues. This guy was – you know, he was – I mean he was an, he was an addict. He was in, in, in real despair. He was wanting for money much of, you know, much of his life. There was no doubt in my mind he was cashing in on being a Biden. No doubt, no doubt. But from that to jump to Joe Biden did something is a long jump that I'm not, I'm not um, prepared to, 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 to take with you. Let's go to Mark in the Bronx. Uh, Mark, it's great to have you with us about Hunter Biden. What's cooking? Yes, Anthony, you are, you are very, very smart. You've always been very bright. You're much smarter than I am. But it, the fact is... You, you will always defend the Democratic Party no matter what. Obviously, Joe Biden was involved. Hunter Biden was, is, is been called a bad man. You won't call him that. And I dare you to go on Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's show or have him on. And, or, or Miranda Devine, as the other woman said, and debate the facts. Peter Schweitzer's written a book about the Chinese giving $31 million to the Biden fam, the crime family. You will, you will never indict Joe Biden. You will never. I, it's easy to talk about Hunter Biden. He's a crack addict. He's a, he was a bag man for the family. It, it's so it, it couldn't be any more obvious. And, and the fact is, you just know, recently, of course, came out the information on the Hillary Clinton campaign in terms of uh, spying on uh, uh, getting involved with the, the uh, dossier, the fake Russian dossier. All they did was pay a fine. I would like you to discuss that one day because people in the know know what went on with the campaign and what they did in the spying. It's a completely fake dossier. I don't expect you to discuss it too soon. But the fact is with the money, P Peter Schweitzer, of course you haven't read his book up regarding, he details the, the money that was given to the Biden family by the Chinese, forget the Russians, forget the three and a half million dollars from the Russian mayor's wife to the Biden, to Hunter Biden and the family. But Pete, please read Peter Schweitzer's book or have him on one day and discuss the. Family. Well, I appreciate I appreciate Mark. But, you know, in, in all fairness, I went through the list of the allegations against Hunter Biden. And to say that I was easy on him is really not to have paid attention. I hammered him. I think that they, I used the word disgusting. I mean, yes, but the, the, the jump that people are making is the problem. And as far as like the idea that I'm not being fair about this, I mean, look, I, I read every New York Post story about about this. And if I got the Bobolisky part wrong, I want someone to point out where I'm open to a fact check on this. I mean, I can tell you this guy made allegations that he had. Uh, 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 text messages that he had emails that supported the, the 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 proposition that Joe Biden was involved, and the people he showed them to, Fox News and the Wall Street Journal, both wrote stories saying it ain't there. 
Not that Hunter Biden was not getting a bunch of money for doing things that he's probably. Oh, this is something I, I should have mentioned earlier. This notion that he's not qualified. I agree. But the qualification was not that he was an expert on energy. The qualification is his name is Biden. And just because the Chinese think that this guy had some pipeline to pop, even though the emails revealed that he didn't, even just that does not mean that pop was guilty of something. That's the point. And by the way, if you believe that it is bad that family members of elected officials or friends of elected officials or college roommates of elected officials take money in exchange for getting access of some sort, that's fine. But you better be consistent. That better be true of Ginny Thomas. It better be true of, of Mitch McConnell. It better be true of everybody. And I do believe it's a problem. I do believe it's a problem. I don't know how you solve it. Because so long as there's a company that thinks that they're getting some kind of access, whether they are or they're not, I mean, even in these emails, you have Hunter Biden saying, I don't know what my dad's going to do. I don't really have that much of a hook into him. I mean, that, so I just want to make it clear that I don't think that I'm being a, a, a shill for anyone. I think I've gone through this pretty, pretty, pretty directly. But if people think that I've left something out, I want to hear it. Uh, Andrea in Washington Township, you read the New York Post stories, too. What, what did you think of them? Okay, here's what I'm going to say. I think what you've left out here is this, okay? I agree what you're saying about Hunter Biden. You left out the bigger picture. When that article came out uh, prior to the election, there was a massive massive cover-up by the media and, secondly, by big tech. You couldn't, you couldn't publish or do anything with it. New York Post couldn't get it out there to the people. That's number one. Number two, you had the letter signed by 51 of our highest level CIA, FBI, all the big names, saying right away it was Russian disinformation, when in fact there has been an ongoing, because now they're admitting there's been a four-year ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden. So with that cover, it allowed Joe Biden to tell the public that he, that nothing was going on. Everything was disinformation. Andrea, and, and, and that's part of the bigger problem. And one other thing, if I might. Yes. My understanding is that there are logs from the FBI regarding the comings and goings of Hunter Biden that seem to be missing. Okay. Could- well, let me just say, Andrea, we're, we're, we're coming, up, uh, coming up, up on a break, and soon we're going to have Curtis joining us. You know— First of all, I said the exact words that I think that that Twitter not using not using New York Post stories or banning them was an outrageous mistake, and I agree a hundred percent. But as far as big as other media outlets, October fourteenth, twenty twenty, the very next day, Washington Post, Hunter Biden's alleged laptop and explainer. In two thousand nineteen, will Hunter Biden jeopardize his father's campaign by the New Yorker, the New York Times, October fifteenth, twenty twenty, writing about the New York Post story. But I've explained to you the reasons that they might be very, very suspicious of all of this stuff. But if you're saying to me that big tech handled this right, I agree that they didn't. But I just want to remind you of the context. This was four years almost to the day when the Russians attacked our country and and helped to influence the election by by hacking into DNC servers, by hacking into Hillary Clinton servers and then releasing embarrassing emails. So that when journalists 
were there four years later, having had, quote unquote, learned their lesson. There was reason for them to be suspicious. All anyone had to do to deal with those suspicions, to be honest, was to say, here's a hard drive for The New York Times. Here's a hard drive for The Wall Street Journal. Here's a hard drive for Fox News. Here's a hard drive for The Washington Post. Everyone gets a copy and can look at it as much as they want. The New York, the, the people that had this didn't release it. I would love to ask that question why. And the one final thing I want to say is about the FBI's handling this. Yes, the FBI has had this for four years. Okay, that's a long time. But I am in the firmly in the camp and I said this when it when it was good for Hillary, bad for 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 Trump and vice versa. If they don't have anything, they should keep their mouth shut. If they have something, they should say one thing. DOJ, here's an indictment or here's a search warrant. But that's it. I don't like this. Well, I want to hear what they have to say before they're ready to say it. But I agree. I would like to see. At this point, and it sounds like everything that I've heard leaking out, that it's finally something is, is going to start to, ha- to happen. But the FBI doesn't get information, collect it, and then leak it. Leak it. At least they don't. They did it until Comey came along. And so, so, I mean, I have acknowledged all the things, all the things that Andrea said. There's not a single new fact that came in there. I acknowledge those things. And as we go to the break, I want folks to, 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 to be aware that I am per- certainly prepared – to have this fact checked. Call in, let me know. The, the board is pretty full with calls. We can always take some more. 800 848 WABC. Shira has already checked in on my text. Says, How did the guy that was blind even fix the laptop to begin with? And I don't have an answer to that question. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. Welcome back to Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. We're going to be joined by Curtis Sliwa at the top of the hour. Guys in the control thought I was getting too worked up, so they played some Marvin Gaye. It is his, uh, would have been his birthday today. He was born on April 2nd. He died on April 1st, so he's, so uh, he's to be missed. Well, okay, uh, I'll try to calm down a little bit. Uh, you know, I promised that I would not be a shouter and a yeller, and I don't mean to be. Um, let's get a couple more calls in here quickly. Um, Steve in the Bronx, you're calling in about Hunter Biden. What do you have to say today? Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, make a quick couple of points. Uh, first of all, you're doing a great job for being a novice on the radio. Keep it up. Thank you. Uh, really good job. Uh, what I like to say about the Hunter Biden scandal is my personal feelings is he is the son that uh, had the most problems. And if there's a cover up, I believe it's just a family trying to cover up that the son was, you know, a drug addict and uh, probably did attempt to use the Biden name to uh, get money and to, uh, you know, sell false influence like he had influence with the father. And I, believe me, I'm a Republican, but looking at this from the outside, this is what it looks like. There's uh, a son who had a drug problem and was taking advantage of the family name. I do not think it goes as high as the president. 
And, uh, you know, in Washington, I don't believe anybody can keep a secret. And uh, if there was a lot of this going around, I'm sure much, much more would have, have come out. And uh, with that, I'll take your uh, response off the air and keep up the good work. I appreciate it. See, thanks for the kind words. Let's hear from Joe in Jersey City. Joe, welcome aboard. Hey, how you doing, Anthony? I'm thanks well, Joe. Thank you. Appreciate, uh, you know, appreciate what you get, what you guys are doing up there. Um, the only thing I had a qualm with was when you were talking, you brought up how, like, Hunt, when you were reading off, I guess, uh, the smoking guns, quote unquote. You said that even in his book, in Hunter's book, he said that he was getting money from his father, not the other way around. I just feel like that statement there makes you, like, kind of lean that way a little bit, you know, too much, um, just because of the fact that, you know, I mean, he would never admit it that it was the other way around. That's a good point. The smoking gun to me comes from the video, though, man. That video of him threatening people, that to me is just like if that was Donald Trump, there would be like all hell would be breaking loose right now, and we're not even talking about it anymore. So, well, um, you're you're right. Listen, I I have to agree with you, Joe. On that, that look, the the shortcomings of using his book as anything is that his book, while very very deep and impactful to me on his addiction struggles, is very light on what he was doing for money and very light on all of this business stuff. So if he thought he was clearing the air, so but I I. I I, I think that it has been acknowledged, I think, by both sides, both by Joe Biden and by Hunter Biden, that Joe supported him during some of his during some of his struggles. Uh, let's go to Josh in Somerville on line three. How are you, Josh? Thanks for holding on. Yeah, Anthony, you're doing a great job. OK, um, and I don't think you need to apologize uh, to anybody on what you have to say about your viewpoint. But I think you need to read the book, um, The Laptop from Hell, as well as Red Handed by Peter Schweitzer. And also treat yourself to read the book by Bobby Kennedy, the real Dr. Anthony Fauci. When you see these people, the things that they're involved with, your hair's going to turn colors. Uh, Hunter Biden, no doubt about his father knew all the involvements, the money that they made. But when you see the Pelosi's and the Connells and the high-tech industries making so much money over China uh, and Russia – uh, it, it's unbelievable. They're selling our country down the road, and uh, our country right now is upside down. We used to be in is out, up is down. And uh, I hope that things start to unfold and that Hunter Biden pays dearly. Uh, I think that Joe is just covering up his son, and he's selling our country down the road. I, I hear you. Well, Josh, thank you for, for checking in. I, I appreciate your perspective on this. I, I Look, I, I as I've said, I, I, I haven't read those books. I have read reviews of those books, and I've had the articles written by those people that summarize what's in their, their books. I would really be in a, uh, in a, in a, uh, a rabbit hole, but I, I will commit to getting those books today and, and to reading them as well. Next is uh, Bert in Malapan. Bert, you're on the line. Thank you so much for holding on. Well, thank you for uh, taking the call. Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, first of all, let's start with uh, President, candidate Biden or uh, Vice President Biden uh, telling uh, the president of uh, Ukraine that if you don't fire the prosecutor who's prosecuting Burisma, uh, we're going to hold back a billion dollars in aid. That was A. Okay, but please. There may be a real reason, another reason for that. Secondly, Bobolinsky said he met with Joe Biden. Okay, and went in. I forget which hotel it was, but it was a very famous hotel. Uh, that's another one, and spoke to him about the deal. Uh, lastly, or not quite lastly, is that uh, Joe has always said he knew nothing about his son. 
business. Zero. Took pictures with uh, who his son was working with. Uh, I would think he would have some concern about where he's getting all this money from. I mean, it was a close family. And also his brother is involved. The president's brother is involved. And the president's brother said to Bobolinsky, when Bobolinsky says, how do you, isn't a, isn't the vice president, isn't uh, Joe Biden concerned about, he, he said no, uh, because he'll always have plausible deniability. So Biden himself lied. President Biden, I'm sorry, he's still a president. Uh, Biden lied about knowing nothing, zero. Also lied about the laptop being uh, fraudulent. Ooh or uh, Russian nonsense, sort of 50 other people who didn't knew, didn't know anything, but just decided that that was the thing. So well, I, a lot of... I, I, I appreciate it. I only, I'm, I'm up against a break, so let me try to address those as quickly as I can. First of all, you believe this guy, Bobolinsky, I don't. I don't. I mean, the, the guy says he's got all kinds of stuff, and when it was time to show them to, to journalists, he didn't have anything anymore. And the one email that was released was the one that I described earlier, which was written by someone to him that refers to Biden as, as the big guy. This guy has said that, that – I mean, he's a partisan. He's someone that, was, that Donald Trump wrote as a guest to the debate. I don't believe the guy. If there's evidence that he's got, he hasn't produced it. As far as this this idea that that you know this has been brought up a lot and reviewed a lot, anyone can go look at it. This prosecutor was a Soviet, was under Soviet influence. The entire European community wanted that guy out. That was part of U.S. government policy, um, and so that has been explored many times over. Look, all I'm saying is that there's some things that are clearly true. Hunter was doing some slimy things. One thing that is probably true, that that there was that sh- this should have come out sooner, and one thing that I don't see any evidence that is true, and that is that Joe Biden profited in any way. On the other side, your friend and mine, Curtis Lewa, when we come back. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Who's this? Yeah. Who's this? On a day in which we should be commemorating the life and times of Marvin Gaye, who probably created more love songs than any other artist in the history of not just rock and roll, but R&B. Why are we playing this song? That's because we got these hipsters and millennials back in the studio here who play music for their benefit. Trying to drag us into the 90s. Exactly. Not <laughs> our audience's benefit. I rejoin uh, Anthony Weiner now. I was able to listen uh, to your spirited uh, breakdown of the Hunter laptop, uh, Hunter Biden laptop uh, scenario as I was uh, rushing in from uh, Flushing and Woodside looking at uh, the many guardian angel patrols. I have to deal with uh, anti-Asian hate crimes, which unfortunately continue to escalate. Uh, you were breaking it down. And it's interesting because there's a New York Post article just came out, talks about how our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, who has the number one most listened to show, 5 o'clock, 
uh, on the AM-FM dial. It's uh, his roundtable discussion. Uh, he had Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator of Wisconsin, would say, where's the data, where's the data? Because if the Republicans become the majority in the House where it's assumed they will be in the midterm elections and maybe in the midterm Senate elections, it's going to be committee hearings about Hunter Biden's laptop over and over and over. Well, overlapping I, I, I don't know. Remember, except for Grassley and Johnson, the other Republicans on the committee wanted no part of this. No, that is true. That I is mean, true, but... they, they were out there. And, and here's the thing. They put out a report. And by the way, anything you can do to change the subject, because I have been I've been in this rabbit hole and I even committed to reading a couple of books about it. Even the report they put out doesn't link doesn't they said it smells but they could they didn't have anything linked but the fbi they don't mess around if they have something i suspect we're going to hear about it um if i'm hunter biden i would not be sleeping well at night right now knowing that the fbi has all this data that is now is out in the public domain some of it unless he paid taxes on all that stuff unless he reported himself as an agent of a foreign government he he could be liable for felonies well it's uh, a subject of constant conversation here at wabc the number one news talk station in the nation once again uh, with Bernie and Sid in the mornings, they bring it up. Uh, then uh, Bill O'Reilly's constantly uh, making references to it. Uh, naturally, Rudy Giuliani, it's the epicenter of yep. many of his discussions, especially the recent acknowledgement by both the New York Times and Washington Post that, in fact, uh, it it was Hunter Biden's laptop. John Katzmatidis, the round uh, table discussion at five. Mark Levin, <laughs> we go on and on. I'm one of the few who really doesn't focus on that all that much. So we get an opportunity to pirouette out of the Hunter Biden laptop, your laptop, Anthony Weiner, and get back to a situation that I couldn't believe. I, 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 if there's anything I get credited for, Anthony, is that I'm street smart. I think uh, even those that didn't vote for me for mayor against Eric Adams say, oh, this guy knows where all the bones are buried, who buried him. A master in the College of Street Knowledge, that's for sure. So even my critics have given me props for that. And late yesterday, I get an update from nycstreetsblog.org by Gersh Kuntzman. Gersh Kuntzman, one of the best reporters that have ever existed in New York City. Daily News. New York Post. He was the editor of the Brooklyn Eagle. The guy knows newspapers inside out. And he's dedicated his life to doing this NYCStreetsBlog.org for the benefit of bicyclists. Uh, I think uh, you're a bicyclist, uh, Anthony Weiner. The mayor's a bicyclist. I haven't been a bicyclist since I was delivering 168 dailies, uh, daily news uh, to people in Canarsie when I was a teenager and 182 Sundays. I used to ride the Schwinn Big Chief bicycle, no hands, rubber band it while no handing it and then tossing it and hope it wouldn't rain because then I wouldn't get a payday. You know, <laughs> the people getting the papers, hey, I got a wet paper. You get nothing on Friday. But the interesting thing is he wrote up a piece and he always writes extensively. And I bought it lock, stock, and barrel. And he said that Eric Adams and his desire to turn more of the asphalt, more of the mileage in New York City into bicycle lanes, had decided that he would turn 3rd Avenue, right here in the east side of Manhattan, into a bicycle superhighway. He had all the schematics. Six lanes for bicycles, then a barrier, then two lanes for buses, no cars, no vans, no trucks, no Uber, no Lyft, no cabs. 
And I read that, and I went berserk. I went running out to the 59th Street Bridge because, you know, that's that's the lead-in to the— And I'm telling people as they're there, they're like, hey, you know, you better enjoy your ride here now because 3rd Avenue is going to be a super bicycle highway. What are you talking about, Curtis? Then it came on the air last night starting at 12 midnight, and I kept repeating that from time to time. And then all of a sudden, my wife, thank God for my wife, Nancy, threw me a lifeline and said, Curtis, I know you like Gersh. He used to be my radio partner, one of many. Very good, very good. Very clever, too. Funny guy. And she goes, the dateline is April 1st. You may want to call Gersh Kuntzman. So I'm in the middle of Woodside, surrounded by Filipinos, because we're trying to help them. They're getting attacked. And all like, Gersh, yeah, hey, Curtis, how's it going? I said, Gersh, that story you posted in nycstreetsblog.org. Is that legit? Is that for real? He goes, no, schmuck, putz. It's April 1st. It's April Fool's. Don't tell me you bought that. And then I had a mumble and stumble. He goes, I bamboozled the most street smart guy in all of New York City. He goes, oh, my God. I never thought in a well, million years on. I could do but that. You're, you're being too kind. In the middle of that, and you left me out, and I'm grateful for that. In the middle, you texted me. We were doing a little rundown what we're going to talk about. I said I was going to talk about a couple of things, and we were throwing ideas back, and you texted me this one. It was just plausible enough, right, if you think about it, yeah. just plausible enough. Like, we, you know, these bike lanes are popping, and I am a biker, but I have seen bike lanes. Now they have a bike lane on Broadway down below 23rd, between 23rd and Union Square. So they have bike lanes. So much that there's one lane, but there's businesses on both sides. So if someone's going to deliver a case of liquor to one of the, the restaurants, these guys had one place to stay, and exactly. that's in, in the roadway. Exactly. So it's just plausible enough. And I texted back to you, sounds good. Sounds good. Let's go ahead and talk about this. So we were that close to being, you know, I would say to becoming laughingstocks, but maybe just to being more of laughingstocks than we usually are. Well, can you are. have imagined if my wife didn't do an intervention, yeah. Nancy, sitting there reading it meticulously? You would have been hearing about it, boy, oh, boy. Knowing yeah. how thorough Gersh Kunstman has been over the years, but she said, only one problem, Curtis. <laughs> it says April 1st date line here. Are you sure Yeah, you didn't get suckered into well, this? Well, you know what else this reveals? This reveals how... Tissue paper thin, the WABC fact-checking organization is around <laughs> no, here. We, can't we, believe we, listen, the, the, when it comes to the news, guys, but in here, we're on our own, and we've got a fact. Yeah, well, remember, here. it was Friday night. I ran with this. Nobody told me to run with it. It was me and me alone, based on my knowledge of Eric Adams, having uh, debated right. against him, run against him. And he's right. a big bicycle enthusiast, wants to take up 600 total miles for bike lanes, double the number that de Blasio left. It was plausible to me. It was. It was. And plus, the quotes that he has in here coming from (laughs) Eric Adams sound suspiciously Adams-like. Like, here's a quote. Getting stuff done means actually getting stuff done for New Yorkers, Adams said. I promised bike superhighways during the campaign, and now I've created them. You know, it's... Just plausible enough, but uh, oh. I'm, I'm glad we didn't no, go no, with no, that wait, story. Uh, I will apologize to all of our many listeners because certainly they were basing this on my street cred. Right. And I'm going to have to go back to the 59th Street Bridge because you know how people are creatures of habit. They generally get in the queue the same time on Friday nights leaving work. I'm going to have to stand there next Friday and apologize 
I wonder if I have to go into a confessional today as a Roman Catholic and confess this as a venial or a mortal sin because so many people have been affected. And don't tell me I have to apologize to Eric Adams, the mayor no, of the city that, of New that's York. That's okay. You, 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 you pulled it back in time. By the way, you did the story on April 1st. You can always claim to your listeners that you were no, doing an April Fool's You show. see, by coming on at 12 midnight, it was actually April oh, 2nd. okay. But I didn't look at the date. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I wanted to believe that, right? I wanted because I these bicyclists, they've taken up so much asphalt. At times, I want to kill them. My belief system is, Anthony Weiner, if you use the bike lanes that are already out there, you get to keep them. But if you don't use it, you lose it, which to me is a fair deal. Like Northern Brooklyn, which you're very familiar with, people are out there like Pee Wee Herman. There's more bicycles sometimes than cars. But then in other areas, like Queens Boulevard. Queens Boulevard, yeah. Nothing. But, but even a, though the Queens, yeah, the Queens Boulevard one always seems strange. I mean, by the way, I believe, you know, for years we had a problem with people getting killed on Queens Boulevard because people were going too fast. Sometimes I think the planners put these things in for the purpose of slowing down traffic. And I think the bike lane... Some of that was about helping bicyclists on, on Queens Boulevard, but some of it was just slowing down traffic by making it so congested. I got to tell you, last night I went for my visitation uh, with uh, Carter and Hunter, my two other sons. I had a great time with them. And I'll never forget the time when I was coming to the house on a visitation on Sunday, and I took them out to Queens Boulevard where they had the bike lane because I was looking, where can I find a piece of asphalt where there's no traffic <laughs> so I can teach them the game Skelly? that you use with a bottle top and you make the little boxes and you shoot it. We sat there for an hour and I taught them skelly. No bicycles came back. Really? In fact, if you remember, there was the uh, great uh, restaurateur uh, who had the uh, kosher deli there. Ben's. Ben's. Yeah. Had to close. He said, I got to close. They took all the parking spots away with these bike lanes that nobody uses and other businesses have closed. But anyway. Mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa. I need to impale myself. This Gersh Kunstman, he's such a good reporter, but he really suckered me in. You know, the other thing is that there are things in the news that are so bizarre that you think maybe they too are April Fool's joke. You know, you know, we've been talking a little bit earlier, and I promised I'd wait for you to come in for this. Have you heard about this case of this representative Madison Corthorn? You heard about this oh, guy? Oh, yeah, the uh, young man in the wheelchair. Exactly. Yes. Now, Matt, first of all, Madison Corthorn sounds like something out of, uh, out of a, uh, a, a, a show. It sounds a little something out of West Wing. But this guy tells stories about life in Congress that include things like being invited to orgies and being invited – well, I don't even know what this means. Invited to have a key bump of cocaine. What does that even mean? What's a key bump of cocaine? Oh, I'll explain that to you momentarily. Let me just say – one last thing about Gersh Kunstman, because oh, I'm, yes. I'm going to give him the razz. This is the kind of story that would appear in The Onion, right? Exactly. The Onion, one of the great publications of all time. i got to tell you, I've read The Onion sometimes and gotten bamboozled. But anyway, we'll put that aside. A bump of cocaine. All right, let's take you back to the disco days in the 70s in which uh, I could have been John Travolta. It could have been me because he's an actor, and I would go to all the clubs. All I, the clubs. I just want to pause here. You know, we have many members of law enforcement who listen to our program, yes. who listen to WABC. Yes. Be careful now. I don't want this show to end with someone coming in here with a warrant for it. So if you're going to con- if you're to confess for anything, I want to make sure the statute of limitations is passed on it. Uh, 
It is. Okay. Trust me. But anyway, there I was in Bay Ridge, uh, a disco uh, maven in the Bronx, uh, after hours uh, clubs where cocaine was a wash because these were all illegal clubs. They'd open up about three, four in the morning. And you dance till the break of dawn. When you break open the doors, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and you have to close your eyes from the sunshine. And the bump of cocaine was simply, and if you remember in the 70s, it was very fashionable for mostly guys, but sometimes ladies, to have a necklace um, around your neck in which you would have a little Coke spoon. And so what you would do is you would sample from Coke, and you would take a bump. Okay. Just quick. Got it. Bump. I know what a bump is. And then right. it would run all, run out after a while, and you would come back and do another bump, as opposed to the uh, the pigs, the Hazurai, who wanted to do a whole line. Right. Okay. So what is a key bump? Well, taking from a key, meaning taking from a key. Now, I'm not as specific on that, but it would seem to me you have a key of cocaine, which is how cocaine is generally transported. And you're taking a bump. So I with see, your like a little spoon, taste. There's a little bit. But it, so it's not a key like like a key you would use in a door. No. Okay. Uh, I, in fact, uh, look, on that one, I stand to be correct. Right. Well, it could be, you know, this is a new thing. This is a, your days of doing whatever are well behind Well, let you. me tell you, this is the best one. So it's 1980. We're a year into the Guardian Angels. I'm up in the Bronx. Cops are raiding our headquarters because they think we're vigilantes, a gang, a cult. And all of a sudden, a stretch limo rolls up, and a guy walks up, and all the guys and gals, they're looking at, oh, my God, it's Curtis Blow. These are the breaks, 1980, number one rap song. He was the first to go mainstream. Mercury signs him up. He's on American Bandstand. Don Cornelius, so train. He's on. He's living in Co-op City, selling like a million records. He comes up. And it's Curtis Blow, and they're all getting excited. He goes, I'm here to help you, Guardian Angels, because I'm a Bronx kid like all of you. I said, hold up. Your last name is Blow. What do you think? Because I'm white, I'm stupid? You're promoting the use of cocaine. Plus, you got the spoon, the Coke spoon, on a necklace around your neck. So I threw him out of the headquarters. Oh, all the Guardian Angels, how could you do this? That's Curtis Blow. These are the breaks. Clap your hands, everybody, if you got what it takes. Because I'm Curtis Blow, and I want you to know that these are the breaks. You see, it was number one yes, in the country. And it also answers the question, if, if, you auto, if you autofill on Google Curtis, what are the top three choices? Number one is Blow. Number two is Sliwa. And he, pro- he procreated my name like Curtis Jackson, <laughs> a.k.a. 50 Cent. Remember, I had the name before they did. But it's generally a name that you find that African-Americans have Curtis. It's very rare to have right. a Caucasian with Curtis. But that was my claim to fame with Curtis Blow. I threw him out of the headquarters. All right. Well, we're, we're getting a little bit off the office. And maybe it's because you think with my history, maybe it's smart that we get off the subject of this matter. Oh, no, no, no. But it's certainly a very I, – I, I, he talks – he was on a, a podcast in North Carolina where he's from. And he, sa- he says that being in Washington, he described what he calls, quote, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington – and he said he was asked to join a, quote, sexual get-together at a politician's home. And he said, did you just ask me to come to an orgy? No, no, and he, hold on. And he went, hold on, I just want to make sure we have him in context. And this, there are some people that are leading the movement to try to remove addiction from our country. And then you watch them do a bump of cocaine, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. It's like it's wild. Well, anyway, so he says all these things. And all heck breaks loose. It's funny. 
I guess Republicans can say lots of things and well, not get in any trouble, but this... I'm, I'm not going to give him any tactical air support because he was totally wrong to make that up. But when we come back, it may be... Ba- everything has a basis for why people would say things and make things up. So you think there's a germ of truth here? I'm going to tie you in to an infamous individual where some of that was true. And it affected presidential campaigns. Tying me into a sex scandal. That doesn't sound that hard. Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't a sex scandal. It was the lifestyle that this individual chose, advertised, broadcast, and he paid the ultimate price. He was kicked to the curb only to resurrect and come back again politically. Right here with Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right exclusively here. WABC 2 to 4 on Saturdays. So catch it on the podcast, wabcradio.com. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Listen, baby. Yes. How are you talking? This was the song that I would hit the dance floor with and do the bump and grind. It was the dance of the 70s. Because remember, the rest of the time you were doing the Patty Duke, uh, you were doing the hustle. But in this one, you could be somewhat stationary. You didn't have to really be a good dancer. Yep. That's why a lot of guys would say, ooh, ooh, I get to just get up and do a bump and grind, and that's it. Great song. Yep. And why? Because it would have been the birthday of Marvin Gaye if he were alive today. Shot by his own daddy. Yeah, crazy. You know, I'm going to go into that tonight at uh, midnight because he he was a crossover artist. So popular. White, black, global. This guy was just like, we called it baby-making music back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you better make sure that you had the condoms. Let me just say, once you listen to the Marvin Gaye champs. Now, by, by the way, before you go on, we're getting some fact-checking going on. Kitty checks in from across the pond. She says, a key bump is when you literally use the tip of a key to make a bump. And I, so that's, I guess, because people don't wear the little scoops anymore. So you, a key bump is off the tip of the key. And so we thank a couple of people on the board here with that definition. Maybe that's wrong. If you disagree with Kitty, let, let us know. No, no, I think it's actually I think that's what dipping it is. into a key of cocaine. Okay, all right. But, well. but, hey, I stand to be corrected. I was wrong about, right, <laughs> the Third Avenue being turned into a super bicycle highway by Eric Adams. April fooled me, Kirsch Countryman. But, so this young man who's so totally immature, um... It's this going to cost him the congressional seat because all the Republicans have turned on him. Except who, who are you for, talking about? You're talking about Madison Cawthorn now? Yes, Madison okay. Cawthorn. Uh, except for former President Donald Trump. But I think he may well turn on him also. I'll bet you this guy was following the life and times of the biggest political hit man who has ever existed in the history of politics. And that's saying a lot. Let me take you back to Roger Stone then and Roger Stone now. Roger Stone involved, first of all, he was involved. To give you an idea, he grew up in Connecticut in elementary school. He goes into the cafeteria. 
and he tells everybody, you got to vote for JFK. You got to vote for JFK. He's a Catholic. If you don't vote for JFK, you're all going to go to hell. So remember, a Democrat, who then becomes number one Nixon supporter, right, all through Watergate. He's there through thick and thin, but he's the, the guy who will do the dirty work for the Republican Party. He's now in the Bob Dole campaign. He and his wife were publishing publicly advertisements for a swingers club in Fort Lauderdale. He took, I forget, the guy in CNN who got into trouble himself, you know, with doing the Zoom conference uh, with all the females. He was suspended for a while and brought back Jeffrey Tubin, I think it was. Took him on a tour of the swingers club in Fort Lauderdale. Now, this is before Bob... Bob Dole becomes a spokesperson for Viagra. You know, he's straight-laced. He's from Kansas. You know, he's like uh, uh, mom apple pie in the flag. So they get rid of Roger Stone because he's a swinger. No drugs. But he's a swinger. So I will bet you that this young man in North Carolina who's now running for his uh, congressional seat again, he took the seat of Mark Meadows was not the Trump-designated uh, candidate. So he actually beat the Trump candidate, and he probably created this Roger Stone-like situation in Washington that did not exist in every hall of every congressional office, Senate office, lobbyist. Uh, but in his own mind, it did, and that, he's got to apologize to everyone. Well, I mean, look, the, the there's a serious thing underneath all of this is that nowadays— you can be in Congress for 15 minutes, and if you say crazy enough things, you get a lot of attention. And there used to be checks on that because working with your colleagues was important enough that saying ridiculous things, you you know, you wouldn't be able to get anything done. Nowadays, no one gets anything done anyway. No legislation winds up passing, and these types of guys who just say outrageous things are are really controlling the order of the day. But uh, but yeah, he was called in by by Leader McCarthy, and spanked publicly for it. It's not clear he put out an ad. The funny thing is his response was to attack the people who were attacking him, not to really do anything to really clean it up. It's more funny than anything else. Guys like Madison Cawthorn don't matter in Congress. They're interesting figures. But at the end of the day, they're not running anything. I don't think anyone should decide to vote Republican or Democrat based on what this guy says. Um, but he's a, a, he's evidence of something. There are people who are just saying more and more outrageous things on the left and on the right um, just for the attention. It's attention for attention's sake. Uh, but he was, boy, you know, you can say stuff about policy all you want. You can speak to white nationalist groups. You can call Zelensky a thug. Well, but once let you me bring up, let me bring up one one fact. And it may be true. It may not be true. But I have to fault her because uh, U.S. Senator Gillibrand, the junior senator of New York, remember when she went after uh, a senator from Minnesota, the uh, comedian. Al Franken. Well, I, I oftentimes see Al Franken walking around in the Upper East, uh, West Side. I wonder if he has an apartment there, maybe a second apartment. Huh. Uh, but she went at him, and obviously the Democrats pressured him, and he had to leave. But she also made allegations, blanket allegations, that she was preyed upon by a lot of the old codgers in, in the Senate, you know, who were, like, perving on her, but would never mention names. Now, the damage there is just like with this young man's allegations. It blankets everybody. It suggests that everybody in the cloakroom, every U.S. senator, 
may have been hitting on her, inappropriately speaking to her, touching her. Who, who knows? But she, it was a blanket. And people were saying, well, who's, what, give me some specificity. Who are you talking about? I'd rather not say. There's a danger when you do that because now you look at mostly older men in the U.S. Senate. I mean, they're mostly uh, 55 plus. And you could imagine any of them, Democrat or Republican, as fitting what she described. And that's the danger when you do a blanket indictment. So here's this is a subject that's come up in 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 my household because my former wife, Huma Abedin, wrote a book, a very good book. I recommend people get it. It's called Both Anna Life's and a Life in Many Worlds about her experiences. And she does say she does talk about an occasion when she was a staffer for Hillary Clinton when she had a uh, a U.S. senator make advances or kiss her. I don't remember exactly what the story is. And she was very clear that she'd not consider it uh, abusive in any way, didn't consider herself under any threat, didn't consider it to be that big a deal. But she made a decision not to say who it was because of all those things, because she wasn't making an allegation that anyone had done anything terrible. Just she was saying what it's like to be a woman there. I think that you can make an argument that, you know, that, to say, hey, this is something that goes on in every workplace. It goes on in my workplace as well. But you're right. You have to be careful. And this is the problem, is that people already have a lot of cynicism about these institutions and about the people in it. You don't have to do much to drag down members of Congress. They're at like 10 percent as it is in, the, in popularity. Um, so there is some danger in that. But I do defend Huma and Kirsten's ability to say this thing happened to me, and I'm not going to tell you who did it. Just to say, look, this is an experience that I had. But you do have to be careful that you don't wind up. And I think this is the problem with what this guy Corthorn did and the reason why his leadership reacted the way they did. It really does become something that now they're all home on the weekend. They're in their districts. I bet you dollars to donuts. Yes. Members of Congress yes. are saying, hey, who was he was talking about? Yes. And now they're talking about that rather than fuel and prices some and other people things. like myself who are aware of the Roger Stone story. Well, he was very public, very open about him and his wife at the time attending orgies in the swingers club. He advertised it. Well, that's the thing. Hypocrisy is the big crime. Hypocrisy is the big crime. You see, I, I had my issues. And I, if you go back and look at the record, I never hit any, anyone who had, had things in their private life. I was always very careful not to go near because I knew there before the great grace of God go, go I. Hypocrisy is the thing that people won't tolerate. And with Roger Stone, by your telling, and I don't know the full story, he wasn't a hypocrite. He wore it on his sleeve. And speaking about wearing it on his sleeve, doesn't he have a tattoo of Richard Nixon, Nixon like, yeah. hanging up his entire How back? How about think of it? He's in elementary school telling all the kids in the yeah, cafeteria, yeah. you've got to vote for JFK, or you and your parents, you've got to tell them to vote for JFK, right. or they're going to go to hell. Right, right, right. Yeah. The, the ultimate political hitman, they did the documentary, like you had the documentary of your campaign right. for mayor. He had a documentary on Netflix, and they got a second documentary now. <laughs> no, he's a he's a colorful figure, and he would say he is what he is. I I've heard I've heard he's done terrible things in the in the realm of politics, and he's a convicted he he too is a convicted felon, right? Pardoned, pardoned by the president. Right, right. Um, and uh, but yeah, he's he's. I think I think that's the problem here is that. You know, even if you're doing Congress the right way and you're you're following the rules and you're doing everything just right and you're keeping your nose clean, a guy like this makes all the headlines. All the comedians are talking about it. We're talking about it. It certainly isn't good for and the institution. We, we have quite the battle. Uh, I guess you have to go to the Urban Street Dictionary to see if a uh, key bump of Coke is what I said or what this uh, young lady texted you in from across the pond in the U.K., 
Anyway, up next, though, we have to talk about DeSantis Land versus Disney World versus the North and many of the more liberal and progressive states as DeSantis once again takes a lead and says, look, when you're in third grade or lower, there's no mentioning of a gay, lesbian, Don't make me say gay. Don't make me say gay. Just, just don't say gay, Curtis. Marvin Gaye. There you go. Well done. You said it already. Well done. You said it already. Now, will that be banned if all of a sudden a kid came to school for show and tell and said, Teacher, teacher, you know what today is? It's the birthday of Mark Gay. Hey, you can't say that. Don't say gay. Who? And someone's going to think we actually planned that out. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> As we continue, Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right, exclusive to WABC, two to four Saturdays. And if you miss it, just go to the podcast at WABCradio.com. Versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. 77 WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. That's gay. I mean, right? You identify, hey, that's no gay. That's Marvin Gaye. And you can say gay. You can say it in this context. Now, speaking uh, of that debate about what you can say or not make references to to those in third grade or in uh, younger grades uh, in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis is flexing. It's almost like he's taking on all of America and especially the Magic Kingdom. Mickey and Minnie Mouse in Orlando. He's saying, no more carve-outs for you. This is the law in the state of Florida. He signed the legislation uh, into effect in Tallahassee after the state legislature voted for it. And from your understanding, Anthony Weiner, what exactly does the legislation say? Well, the first thing is it's not really clear what problem that they're trying to solve, but It's called, you know, opponents call it the don't say gay bill because it basically has a couple of provisions. It doesn't say anywhere in the bill that you can't say gay. Okay, so that is the way it's been labeled by the opponents, but that's not what it says. But the problem is it makes two big things. One, a general thing that it says in the preamble that says it prohibits classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in certain grade levels or in a specified manner. And it basically says that under three, you can't basically talk about these issues. And above it, it has to be age appropriate, which all sounds reasonable. The problem becomes the way the enforcement mechanism in the bill is, is it 
invites residents of Florida, individual residents of Florida, to sue the local school if they think that this has been violated. So I, it used to be that Republicans and conservatives thought that we had too much litigation in this country, but this is going to open it up. And here's why. I mean, here's why. The, by the way, this is clearly DeSantis running for president and clearly him posturing. But what it's not is good law, because here's what's going to happen. First of all, they go around the room, even at, in the age three. Tell me about you your, mean in third grade, in third grade. Right, for, right. For, sorry about that. In third grade. Tell me what tell me about your what do your parents do or tell me about your mom and dad? Or what does your dad do for a living? What does your mom do? That kind of thing. It is not impossible in, in this day and age for someone to say I have two moms or I have two even at that age. I mean, at that age. And then you have a teacher that has to try to figure out, okay, do I stop there or do I have a conversation? Or if someone raises it or some other student says, well, what do you mean you have two moms? That kind of thing. Now, it's pointed out that the legislation doesn't say – is not as specific as saying it prohibits the classroom discussion, says it can't be in the, in, the, um, in the syllabus. It can't be part of the teaching, but you can still talk about it. But you can still be sued for saying that, and it gets even more complicated. What if someone, what if a teacher says, or one of the students says, um, marriage is between a man and a woman? Well, the Supreme Court of the United States no longer longer says that. So then you have a conversation about that. That might be a very interesting conversation for someone at any age, but someone goes home, their mom or dad says, I don't like that conversation, and they sue. On the other side, they say someone says between a man and a woman, that's not what the Supreme Court says, I'm going to go sue. It's going to have all the impact is going to be to have everyone on pins and needles because a school district in a county, and this is just in Florida, it's not here in New York or anywhere else, school district in Florida is going to have to be worried that a teacher at any moment could trigger a lawsuit. So that's why it's this makes no – it doesn't make a lot of great policy sense. But the bigger question, I put this to you, and I'm not being rhetorical here. What is the problem to try – when did the teach – when did te- this is – I don't have people complaining that this is a big problem. This is people getting scared about some culture war that might not even exist. The teachers that I deal with, the teachers that I used to run into when I was a congressman who was a councilman, these are people that every day are trying to figure out how we bring, you know, how we we teach lessons, how we do the best we can, how we try to bring these kids along. And sometimes that means having complicated conversations. But I don't see the schools of our country being this place that this war is going on. These are kids These are kids who might have legitimate questions. I don't see the harm in letting teachers try to figure this out. And the last thing I want is a bunch of politicians or judges saying what a teacher can and can't and can't teach. I'm fine with parents being involved in this conversation, and I'm fine with teachers being involved in it. But why do the politicians have to get involved? Well, only because uh, it has uh, blossomed throughout our culture that there are far more different kinds of people than we ever thought imagined when we were growing up. I can't imagine a a conversation up into the third grade involving that, although I was aware of gay relationships before that, although they didn't have a term. Uh, I had a cousin, Jimmy Lonegro, had a partner, Leon. They owned a summer stock theater in Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, and we would go up there in the summer and help them, you know, in terms of cleaning up the property, cleaning up the theater. And that's why I made my first theatrical appearance. Uh, Helen Keller, I was cutting out the little cu- the cutouts there. I was sitting on the stage area with the safety scissors, the rounded scissors. But I knew that they had a relationship. They lived together. There were some other thespians, actors and actresses who came up who clearly had a relationship with one another based on their gender. Although I don't ever remember discussing it. 
my mother and father, who were more Unitarian than anything else, never really brought it to our attention. I don't know if I could have handled the the complexity of what we're dealing with now as a third grader. Beyond yeah, but that, that's, maybe. But that's what school does. School introduces you to subjects that maybe would Look, I tell you, it was certainly when I was at PS39 as an elementary school kid, it, w- it was an insult. You would call someone a fag. I mean, that would be a thing that happened. Bullying happened. And I can tell you that if that if a student brought that to a counselor now under this law, it would be really put the counselor in a really difficult position. So it's a position to, to be able to figure out what to do. What if someone came in and said, you know, there's other provisions about saying that parents have the right to opt out their children out of counseling. Well, what if a child goes in and says, listen, I, I, I think I'm gay and my parents don't 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 know about it and I'm afraid they're going to find it. You're putting the I, I don't believe that you're you're addressing a problem. I think you're creating a friction point in schools where it's going to be places that you want these conversations to be able to flourish. I don't not trust the well, teachers. Well, give me an example. Uh, it has nothing to do with sexuality. But when I went to PS114, there was a school nurse. Back then, the school nurse could do triage if you had to go to the hospital. Now, if they gave you a St. Joseph baby aspirin, they'd have to call you first as the parent or guardian to get permission. That's how exacting the positions are in terms of what a school nurse can do to a right. student. But in this case, you can imagine you're the parent or the guardians or the grandparents, whoever's raising the child or the children, and you're not being told about this. You know, it's sort of like family first as I, opposed to a school. I get that. I get that. But it's, I think it's going to be I, – I by and large believe that the parents should be included in as much as possible and they should be have access to information and the like. But there are going to be circumstances that these schools are going to be put in a position of having to make a decision. And right now under this law in Florida, as vaguely as it's written, it's written in a way that a parent, even it's not a parent, it can just be a a citizen in the community can be concerned about something. And then you wind up suing a school whose school budgets are not, you know, things are they they don't have a lot of money for lawsuits and for lawyers. I just think you're 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 solving a problem that may not exist. Well, especially in Florida, where there are ten lawyers for every one citizen, there are more billboards. When you're down in Florida, whether you're up all the way in the north to St. Augustine, you know, near uh, Tampa, St. Pete, or you're all the way south near the Keys, there are billboards. I've never seen such a so happy state. Yeah, it's true. As Florida, Which, but, but it used to be it was a Republican talking point always. That Democrats are in love with the trial bar and are always creating more ways to sue more people. Right. I tell you, the one thing I would like to hear from our listeners, you know, my mom was a school teacher for 30-something years. This, I, this idea that teachers are indoctrinating our kids with these terrible and pernicious ideas, I'd like to know, where did this suddenly come from? We've always entrusted well, teachers. Well, I'll tell you where I think it came from. Uh, we didn't realize it, but there were a lot of parents opting out. Uh, not sending their children to parochial schools or private schools or even charter schools as the alternative, uh, they started homeschooling. We have no, uh, I mean, a lot of people have no idea how many kids are homeschooled. I have guardian angels, right? I said, where'd you go to school? Uh, In my house. What are you talking about? My father and mother, they taught me in the house. I couldn't believe the number of young people all across the country, because I have guardian angel groups all across the country, who were homeschooled. So I think that was a movement that didn't want their children exposed to certain outside influences, so they homeschooled. 
And I think you're going to end up getting more of it. Look, what happened in New York City? There were 128,000 less students in the public school system. We know that it's hard to get an apartment in New York City. How are there 128,000 less students in the public school system since the lockdown and pandemic? Well, first of all, let's put into context. There's 1.1 million kids who are in the system. I mean, there's a lot of kids. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is less than 10%. And a lot of, like, the city is emptied out in all kinds of ways. I'm not really surprised that the that city emptied out in that way. But I, I guess that, that what I would get back to is I think – Politicians are manipulating people like this whole conversation also about um, uh, critical race theory, something that's taught in college, something that basically says that when you look at the at, at the history of legislation, the history of the law, that you should understand we were a country that had slavery uh, 400 some odd years ago. No one, no one was teaching this in our schools and it's not part of any curriculum, but it was used as a cudgel, as a political cudgel. I think this is being used as a political cudgel. I mean, because I don't believe the teachers are bad guys. Fran Wiener, for 30-something years, was teaching math. The first at ISA, the eighth, and at Midwood High School. The teachers that I had at PS39, Junior High School 51, in Brooklyn Tech. I don't recall this becoming a thing. I do recall, and it's true today, that all kinds of society's problems get left at the school steps, and teachers are left to deal with a lot of these tough things. Everything from school bullying to— Sex education. Sex Sex education came about because there were a lot of parents, especially the men— in a family who don't want to talk to their children about safe sex or avoiding sex, whatever, whatever you decide you'd like a child to do. It's like, guys, I'm not talking to my son about that. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> forget about that. Uh, so I think, remember, the battles that occurred when sex education was introduced, I think it started at the junior high school level when it was 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth grades before you went to high school in the public schools. But there was a battle about that. I just think third grade, second grade, first grade, kindergarten, pre-kindergarten. Man, there's so many yeah, but things nobody, that are already overloading Nobody kid. is suggesting teaching those kids sex ed. No one is suggesting that. Okay? The only question is, do you write a law that says prohibiting classroom discussion about sexual orientation? Like writing it that broadly and then say you can sue if you don't like it. This is written by a guy who's running for president, not a guy who's really well, trying to make then, policy. Then uh, any state in which you had 10 lawyers for every one citizen was soon going to find out if it becomes part of the litigious uh, nature of the state of Florida. You know this is going to end up going to courts. You know this is going to be challenging in the federal I, system. I don't know. I'm not sure there's a federal issue here. I'm not sure there's a federal issue here. States have the right to regulate education. I don't know that there's a federal issue, but I tell you what you are going to have is the courts crumbling with the weight of trying to decide social issues rather than trying to decide legal ones. I mean, look, maybe it's my bias for having an experience with a school teacher like like, you know, having my, my mom be a school teacher for so many years. Maybe it's the teachers that Jordan has had. I think these people are struggling to do the best that they can. I don't think anyone has this big political agenda that they're trying to foist on, on, on anybody. And by the way, for those of you keeping track, Jordan is off the ice at his tryouts. Curtis, he's trying out for a travel hockey team today. I just got a text from uh, from his mom saying that they're waiting for the coaches to come out and announce who made the team. I will keep you posted. You know, I uh, I don't pray for for things. You know, I I like to I like to to to, to say when it comes to to prayer. You know, thine will not mine be done. But I hope that uh, he gets what he wants. But uh, well, we're go, still waiting to hear. Let's go right to the phones, Joan uh, Joanne from Chelsea. Your turn to be heard here with Anthony Weiner and yours truly, Curtis Lee with WABC. Joan, hi there. Um, 
when my now we're talking 15 years ago when my daughter was in public school in eighth grade they were teaching uh in the books that she had to read they were teaching how to sexually harass girls and they were also teaching about orgies i found this radical and offensive that she was forced to read this and the only reason i knew because usually she comes home she does her homework, but she came to me and she said, Mom, would you be mad if I showed you something bad? And I said, let me see. And I read it with my own eyes that this is what they were teaching. However, back in those days, nobody else was complaining about this. I had no idea what to do, but to, and I was a single mother with no child support. And I had no idea what to do about it. And I think uh, back in the days, uh, uh, you know, when I grew up, it never would have occurred to me that this is the the well, what do you, well, Anthony, what do you say? Here's a mother who is clearly troubled when her daughter uh, brought back curricula that was delving into uh, people having different forms of sex, and she objected I, I, to I it. Think we're both, I think it's fair to say we're opposed to teaching about orgies and how to sexually harass girls. But in history, right, if you read about the Romans, they talk about orgies. Oh, by the way, Now, using... what happens if the kid says, hey, what's an orgy? Okay. All right. Well, first of all, I assume that happens at the high school level, not at the elementary. Look, I, I trust the teachers and school boards are going to try to work these issues out in a way that you get educational experiences. But when you have a situation where you write it in this broad way and it's basically politicians substituting their political instincts for what teachers and educators and parents have been able to work out without problems for years, I say leave it to them. Anyway, when we return... What would have been a perfect carve-out for all parents today if they would have only known, as opposed to thinking about their future trip to Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, which DeSantis is at war with? We got it right in our backyard, and I bet you few, if any, people took advantage of it. With Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly on the right, both of us Brooklyn boys, that should give you a hint as we continue exclusively here on WABC. left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Oh, now they're into gay. They're constantly playing gay now. And if you were in an elementary school in Florida, I don't even know if we could talk about Marvin Gaye, could we? To a third, second, first grade, kindergarten, pre-kindergarten class. Well, I, I know if you would have said Marvin Gaye, everyone would have giggled when you said it. But uh... Well, I'm going to do a one-hour super spectacular commemoration to the life and times of Marvin Gaye tonight, starting at 12 midnight, who was shot and killed by his own father. Yeah. His own father. 
Thank God you're not in that kind of situation. I'm not in that kind of situation with my three sons. But, boy, we would have been top-shelf five-star if your son wasn't trying out for a road hockey team. If my son could have been available because I wasn't, because obviously I had to be here at WABC for the opening of Luna Park, the 95th anniversary of the Cyclone Ride today, the beginning of the summer season, the spring and summer season at Coney Island. And in Luna Park, I'm wondering, Anthony, because I wasn't there, uh, but I'll be there for the blessing of the rides next weekend. Don't tell me the kids have to wear masks on, you know, like Eric Adams won in court yesterday in Staten Island where the kids who are in pre-K and uh, kindergarten have to continue to wear masks. Don't tell me on those rides, those kiddie rides, that they have to wear masks. Please, Anthony, tell me they don't have to wear freaking masks. I don't think they have to wear I don't. I, I don't know if they have to on, on the rides. By the way, the kiddie rides, you know, like they're not going to be tall enough. Those kids are not tall enough to go on the cyclone. Some of those kiddie rides, man, that the teacup thing that spins around, yep. they, they, those kiddie rides are legit. They are not they are not easy easy rides, but I don't know, do they have to I don't think they have to wear masks and they, you're opposed to the little kids wearing masks. Oh, though, absolutely. Huh? It is so ridiculous. Imagine you're Aaron Judge for the Yankees, you're Kyrie Irving for the Nets. You don't have to be vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks. You get to play uh, the sport that you're making millions from by billionaire owners. But if you're a little kid in public school, you have to wear, if you're in kindergarten or pre-K, a mask. you got to continue to wear a mask. Age five, under five, right? Yeah. What if it makes them 25% less likely to get COVID? No. No, absolutely. we got to live with COVID. What if it makes them 50% less likely? we got to live with COVID. You know, it's Boris Johnson. As crazy as he looks with that weird hair who said it best, he goes, we're going to have to learn to live with COVID and stop these mandates and restrictions because we're never, ever, ever going to live a normal life if we're constantly telling one part of our segment of our society, you're under a vaccine mandate, you're under a mass mandate. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm uh, agreeing with Boris Johnson and the whole hair flying all in the head you're like the, he's his. Yeah, you're the Tory on this show. Yeah, I, I don't feel strongly about it. I, I mean, my view is I'm glad that they're off. I think that some degree keeping them on now is virtue signaling based on what we know. And I think there's a lot of that that's going on. The challenge becomes the, the, the extra safety that we always take with our kids. And that is say you and I have a decision that we can make. We have, we have control over our own bodies. We can make our own decisions, our informed decisions about these things. A five-year-old or a four-year-old doesn't have that. So we have to be extra protective. And I think that that's not, that's not a crazy thing to say, that, that you know, since, since – and by the way, I got a text alert this morning from the New York Times saying that, you know, another wave of COVID is on the way, that there's another – another wave is coming. It's A, B, version A, B, we something like that. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And now, as, as we've said on previous shows, we know enough about how to protect ourselves and how to protect each other um, that, I, that I think it's fair – to say that we shouldn't wear masks, but I'm fine saying let's 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 be extra safe with the kids. Uh, I think I'm going to head out to the cyclone, take advantage of 95 of the first people got free rides today. I missed out, but I got Anthony with me for the dirty water hot dogs from Nathan's Famous to fries, and then a ride on the cyclone. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I think I'm ready. You know what? What what better way to visit Nathan's than with a guy named Wiener? <laughs>